Welcome to Crossing the Jordan, my brothers and sisters. I pray that you are having an incredible Holy Week as we enter into uh, this week of the Lord's passion, his great love for us, that he would go to the cross and he calls us to follow him. So I pray that this week is a deep and intense and intimate time with the Lord as we follow him to the cross so that we may share in his glory and his resurrection, provided that we suffer with him at the cross, just as uh, Mother Mary was faithful to that. So today's uh, Always More Wednesday podcast, I want to talk about uh, being led astray and traditions of men, and both of those go hand in hand. So I wanted to talk about, and we're going to talk about today, how to avoid being led astray, how to avoid uh, having traditions of men, and then we're going to talk about how you know that you're following a tradition of men or being led astray. So first, we had an entire episode before, an entire series, I think, um, on traditions, but let's just take a brief second to do a little recap. So everyone is following traditions. Traditions simply means a handing down, and that could be written or oral, and I'm not even talking about scripture yet, just talking about anything. It could be written or oral because it's simply a handing down. You look at our daily lives, it's a tradition. Our sports and entertainment, tradition. Our family heritage, things that we do for Thanksgiving, Christmas, all those things, those are traditions, a handing down. Uh, And then when you look at, uh, from a faith perspective, the Bible came Uh, came out of tradition and it is tradition to be handed down every single christian that you know who there are some christians that don't believe in the inerrancy of the bible but it's very very rare but most uh, christians believe that the bible is fully true there is no error in it but the bible itself is a tradition because when you were maybe you're little and you got the family bible somebody handed it on to you literally and you took it as it is you didn't say do these have the right books in it does it have are we missing some or do should some of these be taken out and all of those things right is this even inspired scripture this is literally a handing down it's a tradition so we see that basically everything is a tradition so you can't get away from it so when we talk about faith, it can be written or oral, just as it says in Second Thessalonians 2.15, St. Paul says that uh, to follow the traditions handed on by him, whether by word of mouth or by letter. So it can be written or oral. And when we look at the first century at the time of Christ, Christ didn't write anything himself, nor did he command anybody to write anything, nor does scripture say that everything needs to be written down. For the vast majority of the entire history of humanity, including all the way through the last like few centuries, it is, it is actually very rare that people are even literate. So the vast majority of people couldn't even read. So the whole concept of, well, I'll just need me and my Bible is very, very new because the vast majority of people, one, couldn't get a Bible, and two, if they did have it, they couldn't read it anyways. And during that first century time, all the way through until like the 16th century and the 1500s when the printing press was made, it was uh, the, it was very difficult to even write. So that's why there were scribes. You even hear about this in the New Testament letters where people use scribes. They were hired to write short, very short letters. St. Paul's letters are actually huge. Um, short letters, which it was very expensive and a very difficult job to write them down, to preserve them, to, lo- to transfer them. It was very, very expensive to to do that, and that's why you even see um, uh, scribes being mentioned in the New Testament, including St. Paul. So then when people would actually get the the letters from them, there would really be a few only a few people that could even read it, so they would read it out to the entire assembly. And I believe it's right in St. Paul where it says, read this to the entire assembly. 
Um, and we see in the writing of the New Testament uh, letters that they're writing to churches that they've either already been to with the exception of Romans, because at that time, Paul hadn't been to Rome yet and he didn't found the church there like he did all the other ones. But his New Testament letters, he's writing to churches that he's already established and he hears these either good or bad things happening and he goes to um, either correct them or to lift them up and to encourage them. But we see in each of the letters that they actually preferred to teach in person. I wish to come to you. Please pray that I can come to you. So we're very lucky that he even wrote these letters to the churches that he wanted to come see again or to visit or to come and to teach more faithfully in person. They preferred to be in person. So we see right away that tradition uh, from a from a Christian perspective clearly does not have to be written down and was never intended uh, to be written down, but praise the Lord that we do. So now let's get into the good versus bad traditions. How do you follow these? So some good, some good tradition, a good tradition would simply be something that does not void the word of God on faith or morals. And when we say the word of God, we just mean the divinely revealed truth of God, which is both spoken and written. And the big capital W word of God is Jesus. So anything that contradicts the fullness of Jesus Christ and him crucified is voiding the word of God. And then when we look at the good, the good traditions and the church distinguishes all these between capital T traditions and small t traditions. Capital T traditions are divinely instituted traditions. So of course they're good. They're the highest form of good because God himself gave them to us as a tradition to follow. Um, one of them being example is scripture. Even though scripture wasn't closed until the till the church defined the canon and said all these things about scripture to be true in the fourth century, that is a divinely instituted tradition. Um, that is a capital T tradition that is, the church says that it is a dogma and it is an, the inerrant word of God. Capital T tradition is scripture, and we're going to go into much more of this later. Small t traditions are human traditions that could change at any time, and it wouldn't impact really anything from a capital T tradition perspective. So these are the ones that could be good or bad. Small t traditions could be good or bad, right? And what did we say before? Bad traditions are simply voiding the word of God. And when we look to the scriptures, when we see bad traditions, we see Jesus himself talking about this. And the Greek word that we're going to be focusing in on is paradosis, because this is the word for tradition in Greek uh, that was written in the New Testament. And they're both expressed in a bad way and in a good way. And it is helpful to know that because when we get into the New Testament letters where it's expressed in a good way, there's actually a lot of Protestant Bibles who change the, the word to, from tradition to something like teachings or rules or something like that because they want to avoid this word of tradition because a lot of people view it as a Catholic thing. But as we have seen, it is an everybody thing. So, And when you see scripture itself, that word paradosis is going to pop out when it talks about tradition. So let's get into first the bad tradition that voids the word of God. Let's go straight to Jesus. And he says uh, in the Gospels, there's this time where he's talking to the Pharisees and the scribes, and he's saying that your tradition voids the word of God. So what were they doing? They were specifically talking about the korban. The korban was a way of donate, of giving money to the temple. And so what people were doing were saying, okay, I already gave money to the temple. 
and therefore I no longer need to take care of my parents because I can't. I gave to the temple, so sorry, I can't honor my mother and father. Well, Jesus says, you are dishonoring your parents, which is voiding and directly contradicting a, a one of the Ten Commandments based on your tradition of giving money to the temple. So people are using it for the wrong thing, right? So what are bad traditions today? That void the word of God. And what is a good tradition? Those that do not void the word of God. Some of them having a much higher level of, of greatness and purity because some of them are capital T traditions that they are divinely instituted, divinely revealed. Um, and then small T traditions, human, which can be good or bad. So another way to look at it from a scripture perspective, like if you want to square all traditions with the tradition of the Bible and see what scripture says, the question would be, how can you do or say X when the Bible says or teaches Y? So, and every single Christian, including Catholics, need to answer this because we believe it's the inerrant word of God. So, uh, if you are contradicting scripture, that is bad. If it doesn't contradict scripture, but then it's just not clearly in there, well then, at the very minimum, it would at least be neutral. It's not, it's definitely not bad because it doesn't contradict scripture, um, but is it, you know, is it indifferent or is it good and all those things. And the question that you often get for that is if it's just neutral, but you're doing something that isn't just clearly in the Bible or at least someone, the, some, the way that somebody is interpreting it is the question of where is that in the Bible? And as Catholics, you should put the, the, the burden back on that person who asks, where is that in the Bible? Because that is the wrong basis because nowhere in the Bible does it teach that you, it needs to be explicitly in the Bible. That is a tradition of men. So again, we need to answer the question, how can you do or say X when the Bible says or teaches Y? But if the question is, where is that in the Bible? Then we need to put it back on them and talk about the basis of that question in the first place. Because where is the Bible in the Bible? Where did you get that? Tradition. And where did that tradition come from? The church. So now this is the meat of this topic. So I want to talk about how do we hold to the good traditions and not be led astray? So how do we do that? Well, do it just as the apostles dealt with right in scripture. You hold fast to the traditions of the church, which is the tradition of Jesus and the apostles. And the church is the servant of truth, the servant of the word of God. So let's look in scripture where traditions are held up as a good thing. In 1 Thessalonians First Thessalonians 2.13, which is the very first letter of the entire New Testament, St. Paul is writing to the church that he founded in Thessalonica. And it says, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as, it, as what it really is, the word of God. So what is he saying? Well, this is the first letter of St. Paul, and he's saying that he's already been there, established a church, and when he was speaking the word of God to them, they received it, and they accepted it, not as the word of men, but as the word of God. And this was oral tradition, and he's talking about oral tradition that people received as the word of God because he was an apostle of the church of Jesus. Um, And then 2 Thessalonians 2.15, the second letter he's writing to the church in Thessalonica. Stand firm and hold fast to the traditions... That Greek word, paradosis, this is when it's used positively, which you are taught by us, either by word of mouth or by letter. And then 1 Corinthians 11, 2, St. Paul again writing to the church in, the, uh, in Corinth. He says, maintain the paradosis, the traditions, even as I have deli- delivered them to you. So each of those times in 2 Thessalonians and in 1 Corinthians, the same Greek word that is used in the, New Te- in the gospel where 
uh, Jesus is is condemning a tradition of men that contradicts and voids the word of God, here it is being used in a positive way because it's holding fast to the traditions of the apostles. And then on the opposite side, we see right in the New Testament when people were being led astray. We see St. Paul's writing again in 2 Thessalonians 3.6. He says, We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the traditions, paradosis, that you received from us. 1 John 2.19, St. John writes, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. And then later on in that same letter, in uh, chapter 4, four verse 6 of First John, it says, We are of God. Whoever knows God listens to us, and he who is not of God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So each of those, it's showing St. Paul and John had this understanding that if, you ha- if you're holding fast to the tradition of the apostles, you're in truth, because that's where the truth comes from. If you are holding fast to the traditions of somebody else who is not of the group of the apostles, then you're in a spirit of error. And those are people that did not continue with with the apostles, and it is not in accord with the tradition that they received from the apostles. And uh, we see in that St. Paul won uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.6, where he says, um, to keep away from a brother who is walking in, in those traditions or in that idleness that uh, is contrary to the tradition received from the apostles. And that is going back to Matthew 18 when Jesus says, if, um, if you have disagreement, tell it to him and, him and him alone, then take two or three witnesses. And then if he doesn't even listen to them, take it to the church. And if he does not listen to the church, what happens next? Treat him like a Gentile or a tax collector, a.k.a. excommunication, right? So when you do not hold fast to the traditions of the apostles, the church that is established by Jesus on the foundation of the apostles, then you are in a spirit of error. And um, St. Paul even talks about, again, that going back to Jesus' words, some form of excommunication to bring them back to the church. And then we see even more of this in St. Peter's writing when he's talking about those that were not with the apostles. In Second Peter 3.16, it says, There are some things in St. Paul's writings that, you are, that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do with the other scriptures. Beware of this, lest you be carried away with error of lawless men and lose your own stability. 2 Peter 1.20, it says, No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by the impulse of man, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So again, what is he warning? Listen to the apostles. When you don't, you get into error, and then you start going down this path of very, very grave error, and you guess what you're doing? You're reading the Word of God. You're reading Scripture, but you are being carried away, and you're ignorant and unstable and twist to your own destruction. So, sola scriptura, no bueno. And we see the fruit of that when we look at all the different divisions in the body of Christ today. 2 Timothy 4.3, St. Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own liking and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. Oh boy, like this was me a few years ago, like, and a lot of the church, especially here in America, but it is also worldwide as well, 
where we want to find a church that is conformed to us as opposed to us going into a church and growing. And that is a very scary time to be in. And we have itching ears and we want to hear things that we believe is true. This this church is more liberal. This church says this. This church says that. And then we end up going to uh, a church that fits our own liking or we just don't go at all. So those are the bad stuff. Um, the good stuff, the apostles' teachings, the apostles' traditions that were handed down to them from Jesus. What are they? Capital T traditions, all the sacraments, especially the Eucharist. We even see that in 1 Corinthians 11, it's referred to as a tradition. St. Paul says, uh, what I handed on to you, and then he goes into the Eucharistic dialogue. And then capital T traditions are all those dogmas, Jesus's nature and his will, the Trinity, etc., scripture, all of these are Christocentric because Jesus is the truth itself and we form all of our truths on Jesus. So it's all Christocentric and all of them were true from the beginning, but the servant of those truths, the church, comes to a deeper understanding of it and is led into truth precisely when there are disagreements or uh, there are attack on those traditional truths. So like all those ones that I just mentioned, those were not defined until the fourth century, including the canon of scripture. That was late in the fourth century. Because a lot of people were attacking the nature of Jesus, the will of Jesus, the Trinity, um, and all of those things that we take for granted today, those were things that were battled for a long time. And then it was not solved until the church came together. All the bishops who were successor of the apostles and union with the Pope who was successor of, successor of Peter and infallibly declared had that dogma following the same thing that happened in Acts 15 when the church came together and Peter declared a dogma, a teaching of the church, and that was received to all the churches throughout the the known world at that time. So that's capital T, traditions, good traditions. So what are modern forms of traditions of men that are making void the word of God? Well, all those things that we just said are happening today where people are rejecting those. I said all of these things at one point. You do not need the church. You do not need baptism. There's no need for priests. You don't need Mary or the saints. You don't need the Eucharist. You don't need confession. You don't need any of those sacraments. Um, And all of those are sacred tradition, which are found in sacred scripture. And what happens? You void all of those that are directly instituted by God himself. You directly lose those when you attack the church and you lose tradition and you lose the Bible, just like our Always More Wednesday episode that we talked about last week. So when you reject all of that and then you add things that you are that you believe to be right, so let's say, for example, replacing baptism with just saying, you don't need to be baptized, just say the sinner's prayer, or once saved, always saved, etc. Those are voiding the traditions of the apostles and beginning traditions of men including the traditions that all Christians accept that aren't explicitly in the Bible, such as the Bible, the nature of Jesus, uh, the will of Jesus, the Trinity, canon of scripture, the close of divine revelation at the end of the last apostles. Those are all things that aren't directly in scripture themselves um, that you need tradition for. You need the church. And another uh, interesting, I'm going to leave an article in the show notes if you would like to read it, but it gets very interesting of when you do not have the church and the scripture doesn't say specifically explicitly anything about it. You fall into um, uh, maybe even accepting slavery, maybe accepting polygamy, all of those things. So it gets very uh, dirty very quick when your basis is sola scriptura and you do not have the church. So how do you know if you're 
holding fast to a good tradition, a tradition of the apostles. You're a member of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. If your church began in the last 500 years, or if your church uh, began in the last few years, you're very, very, very likely following traditions of men that began themselves and started interpreting the Bible for themselves. And it was not established by Jesus himself. And uh, we see this right in scripture. God is not a God of chaos or confusion. St. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 14.33. God is not a God of chaos or confusion. And this is why he gave us a church that is the pillar and bulwark of truth. It is becoming harder and harder for people to believe at all because of all the divisions. I experienced this personally myself with my friends and my family and, and strangers. Everyone wants uh, them, wants this person to be in their church, whatever they believe, and it becomes paralyzing. I was just lis- listening to uh, Dr. Alan Hunt. He's a convert from, he was a Methodist megachurch pastor for years, and he converted to Catholicism. He left everything that he knew to become Catholic. And he was telling the story on his uh on the Coming Home Network, which I recommend everybody listens to, he was telling the story about how this woman had like an incredible conversion to Jesus and his church when he was a Methodist pastor, this incredible conversion. She was baptized and everything like that. And next thing he knows, she just stops coming to church. And then they tried to reach out to her, what's going on? And she said that she stopped going to church because after she was, when she was seeking uh Jesus and seeking church, she was seeking peace and community. She thought that her life would get more peaceful and her community was going to be great. But after she came into the church, she had all of her, these other churches telling her that the Methodist church was wrong and that she needed to be Baptist. She needed to be Lutheran. She should have been Presbyterian. All of these churches that believe that they have the fullness of truth and that everybody should be in their church, but their church only was established, uh, you know, in the last few hundred years or in the last hundred year period. And they're all basing their theology on the same, uh, the same basis of solo scriptura where we have all this division. So, and we see this in marriages that have different religions. Um, there's a, there was an experiment done or not an experiment, but a, just a study done. And it was found that people, that children that grow up and they see, mom either believing and dad not believing or just two completely different religions, the children usually grow up the vast majority of the time, not only non-religious, but irreligious. Like they, they have a distaste for religion because they see that it causes division. And that's why it's so hard to have like a, a inter-religion type of relationship or marriage. And we even see that unity is a form to the, and a witness, a testimony to the outer world Um, for people to believe that Jesus was sent by God the Father to redeem the world through him. He he says this in John 17, that he's praying to the Father and he says that they, he prays that we would be one even as the Trinity is one so that the world may believe that Jesus Christ was sent in the flesh. So unity, even amongst differences that we have in the Catholic Church, we're perfected in love and in the church that Jesus established when uh, fundamental truths are held on to, which only comes through holding on and clinging to the church that Jesus established on the foundation of the apostles. So another example of this is one time I was talking to a friend of mine um, and 
he was saying how when he was beginning his his studies to become a pastor someday, his pastor told him, just read the Bible on your own and figure out what you believe on your own first. And this, that's scary because that has caused a lot of heresies and a lot of fundamental heresies such as the Trinity, the nature of Jesus. People would deny that Jesus is even God. Um, and then, uh, and this directly contradicts Second Peter that we that we read earlier that says inter- that Scripture is not to one's own interpretation. And people who um, read Scripture by themselves can can twist to their own destruction. It's very scary. And they even experienced that. He said that his his pastor, who even rec- who gave him the, this recommendation, said that the pastor was scared. He was afraid that he was not teaching the right things, and he said that the biggest thing I'm gonna I fear when I go to see God is that I didn't teach truth, I didn't teach the right thing, and that is not freedom. That is a lot of fear, and that is what sola scriptura um, does. It puts a pastor, uh, his entire, his entire being, um, on this. He's got to be his own. His he's got to be. He has to be his own pope. He has to be his own bishop. He has to be his own. Um, authority and then he has to lead people on based on what he believes or his opinion and to get up every Sunday or whenever he's teaching to put forth what he believes to be right that's very scary um, and that's because sola scripture doesn't stand on its own it could be interpreted wrong which is done through departing from the church which is the pillar and bulwark of true tradi- of truth which is the tradition of Jesus and the apostles so Jesus wants freedom for us all he is the truth. The truth will set us free, and the church is the servant of that truth that Jesus established in Matthew 16 and 18. And Jesus promises that he will never leave his church. The Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth, just as the church has always been led into truth for 2,000 years on the matters of faith and morals. So, in conclusion, when you lose the church, you lose tradition, and you lose the you lose scripture itself, and um, fall into a way of error, just as we saw right in the very first century that St. Paul, St. John, St. Peter were addressing. So how do you be led astray and into error, rejecting the church? How do you hold fast to the truth, cling to the church that Jesus gave, and hold fast to his traditions that have been delivered from you from the one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church, either by word of mouth or by letter? And that is from scripture itself. So let's listen to St. Paul, St. Peter, St. John, and cling to to the tradition of the apostles and cling to Jesus in the sacraments, cling to Jesus in scripture and uh, be free. Now that you have the fullness of truth in the Catholic church, you get to focus almost purely on your relationship with Jesus. You don't have to try to recreate what's already been uh defined you don't have to recreate what you feel like you have to do or need to do or figure out the truth on your own the truth is found in the church that jesus founded and now you get the fullness of freedom to live in that union with christ and your walk to eternity